We are continuing the whole series, uh, which is called Whole, although it is also the entire series. In week one, we talked about identity, and that's when we talked about how uh, at one point, at some point, Jesus is going to separate everybody into sheep and goats. He's going to basically say, how you treated the least of these is how you treated me. How you loved the least of these is how you loved me. How you helped the least of these is how you loved me. And, and we talked about how a lot of people try to justify avoiding that and even refusing that and even going away from that. But Jesus is very clear saying we have to be better. We have to do better, which is something we'll talk about tonight. Last week, uh, I put out the podcast, and I'm sure everybody has listened to it multiple times, in which I talked about John 4, uh, and it was called In Their Shoes. And that's the one where uh, Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, Jew Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They hated each other. Jews would never talk to them. And so when Jesus talks to her to ask for a drink of water, uh, that had probably never happened before. And yet he talked to her. Uh, he told her, they talked about her faith, and he told her what her sin was, and then she changed the subject. Now, a lot of Christians, a lot of people would immediately just start hitting over the head and saying, no, 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 you can't change the subject. I've got to be right. You've got to listen. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Jesus allowed her to because he loved her and he cared. And because of that, she came back around and she followed him and she turned to him. This week, we're going to kind of add those two things together and talk about being better. Um, one of the things that is difficult a lot of churches today and throughout time struggle with attendance. And obviously that's something that we've talked about here and that has happened here. But a lot of times churches like spend all of this time looking for the problems and being like, well, what if it's this? What if it's that? What can we do? What is this over here? And there are things that can be done and there are ways to turn it around. But a lot of it comes down to the way Christians act in the world sometimes and the way they treat other people and the way they... Uh, judge other people, the way they live a checklist life, which we've talked about before, and, and just kind of treat everybody like garbage. And so everybody associates that with church. Uh, and so I want to read a scripture, and this is John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus uh, returned to the Mount of Olives, but early in the next, early the next morning, that was a mount called the Mount of Olives. It's not a mountain made of olives. Um, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So at first glance, it would be like, well, she did something wrong, and she's being punished. But if you actually read this, and you think about this, and you use logic, and you're like, wait, what is happening? It says she was caught in the act of adultery. Adultery is having an affair or having relations with someone you're not married to, basically. And so... Uh, it requires at least two people. Like, it can't be just this woman doing something wrong. And so, for one, they just bring her out. And so, what's that mean? Like, was did the other guy run away? No. What actually happens here is uh, adultery could was very rarely prosecuted or anything done with because you had to have two witnesses by law, which means two people had to see this happening. It's a very private act that is not really witnessed a lot. And so the guy involved was one of the people bringing her forward, which means this was a big trap, not for her, but for Jesus. So basically they took this woman, they had some guy go to her and say, hey, let's hook up. And then they used that to trap her and say, hey, you've committed adultery. And that guy and the other Pharisees went up to Jesus and said she committed adultery. And so you see there how they're so wanting to judge him, so wanting to win, so wanting to be right, so wanting people to listen to them, that they do something awful to someone else to force sin. 
Um, there's something called entrapment sometimes that happens in law enforcement, and it would be like uh, if a cop kind of, like if Zach's driving down the street, and a cop gets behind him and like basically pushes him into speeding and then turns on his lights to get him for speeding. Like that would be entrapment, sort of. Um, and so also Zach would be in trouble for not having a license and there'd be a lot of other problems there. But with this, basically they entrapped her. They, they set up a crime that she had not done before probably. And then they put her in jail and took her to Jesus and said, hey, the law says to stone her. Now Jesus is smart and Jesus is wise and Jesus is loving and Jesus knows all of this. And yet this shows us again what can sometimes happen in the church. Sometimes we're so anxious to make sure everybody else knows what is right and what is wrong, that we spend our whole lives and we spend all of our time not telling them about Jesus, not telling them how to be better, not telling them who we are and who we serve, but saying, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is what you're doing wrong. And it gets very political, and the people fall into a political party, and it's like, man, the other party sucks. Anybody who follows that, they're evil, and we fall into that, and it's like everything becomes a checklist. And it's like, man, those people over there, they don't wear a suit and tie to church. They're going to hell. Or that person over there, uh, they go to, they listen to the wrong kind of music or they don't go to the right type of movie or whatever else. And it's just walking around looking for ways to judge people sometimes. And what that does is it makes people feel like garbage. And it turns out to be just like what the Pharisees are doing here. Now, had the Pharisees walked by and somehow found this act of adultery and said, hey, whoa, this isn't right. And then gone to Jesus said, hey, what do we do here? That's a completely different case. But to set her up just to be right, just to get somebody to do something wrong is so horrible. And then we get to the next part. Um, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, before I get to that. So he stoops down. Like, so basically they're saying, hey, we got a stoner. Like, what do you think, Jesus? What are you going to do now? And they're like, rubbing their hands together like a cartoon villain. Uh, and they're like, this is so good. He's going to really be in trouble now because he's either going to say stone her and they'll be like, see everybody he doesn't love. He's just like us. Which, by the way, for Pharisees, for the religious leaders, for basically the pastors to want to prove Jesus is just like them as an insult is not saying a lot of good things about themselves. But they're like, okay, he's going to do this or he's going to say, let her go. And then we could say, see, he doesn't care about the Bible and he doesn't care about the law. And he's just all about this and he won't actually help people. And so they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then he stoops down with all of this is going on. Imagine him stooping down and just writing in the sand. And like, it'd be so weird to see. And you can imagine the woman who's terrified. Like, I thought Jesus was going to help me. Like, what's happening here? Like, he's writing in the sand. Now, nobody knows exactly what he wrote in the sand. There are a lot of theories. So some people think uh, that he just kind of drew. And like, he was not wasting time, but kind of just pausing and letting the heat die down. Um, when people are really upset, when they're really mad, when something bad happens, like that's when they can really blow and when things are really bad. But if you can pause and make everybody kind of wait, sometimes that cools down the situation. And so people are like, maybe he's drawing and kind of just doing this. Um, some people uh, think that he wrote the passage in the Bible about not committing adultery, which is from the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, that he just kind of wrote out what they said, just to think about it and like really go over this. Some people think that he wrote out Exodus 23.1, which is, I have it written down here, uh, do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness, which is basically saying, hey, if you make somebody sin in order to get them in trouble, you're just as bad as them. And so some people think he wrote that, and maybe that kind of makes sense, because he's really calling them out. Um, 
some people think, so the t practice at the time for Roman law, and Rome was in charge here, was uh, whenever somebody would commit a crime, somebody would write out their sentence so they could see it, like what the crime was exactly. And so people are like, oh, maybe he did this, maybe he did that. What I think, and what some people think, is that he wrote out the names of each of the people there that had accused her. Like he wrote out their name, uh, not their sins necessarily, although people think that too, but he just wrote out their name, which immediately says, hey, he knows us. Now, if you're trying to get somebody in trouble, or you're doing something you don't want, you know you shouldn't do, and all of a sudden you see somebody that knows you, most of the time you're like, oh, whoa. I got to step back now. Like, you're really more careful. And so if he writes out their name, this goes to the heart of it. And they're like, oh, he sees us. Like, he knows us. He, this, isn't, this, isn't, this is real now. And so then we go back to what Jesus said. Uh, they kept demanding an answer. So while he's doing this, they're yelling and screaming. Uh, and so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. So he does it again. So he stands up and he's basically like, hey, you're right. That's the law. So Whichever one of you has never sinned before, go ahead and throw it. So he's saying he tricks them. He completely defeats them. They're trying to trap him into getting saying one or the other. But just like with love God, love others in the greatest commandment, he says the exact right thing because he's amazing. And so he's like, hey, if any of you guys haven't sinned, go ahead. And obviously, uh, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So they're just shut down. Like he writes and he writes their names, and, and maybe he made little check marks next to their names, or maybe he did write their sins or whatever. But they realize, man, what are we doing? Now, I hope that they changed their lives from there, but I have no idea. Because over and over again, if you read through the Gospels, they keep trying things like this to trap him. And so they become everything they say he is. They say that he's going against God. They say that he's blaspheming. They're saying that he's breaking the law. They say all of these things. And then they go out and do worse in order to try to trap him. Whereas he's just treating everybody like he wants to be treated. He's just loving. He's just hoping. He's just helping. And so... Uh, they drop their stones. They go off. And you can imagine this woman for a second. Like she's terrified. She's scared. Her life's just been shattered. And everybody's ripping on her and yelling at her and accusing her. And they trapped her and all of this stuff. And then like they bring her to Jesus. And she's like, is he going to kill me? He's just writing. What am I going to do? And then everybody walks away. And she's just so, wow. And so who is she going to focus on? Jesus. She's like, wow. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Now, before we get to kind of the point of this passage... Imagine that you're just somebody walking by and you see all of the church leaders, all of the people who say they're who exactly who you should be. This is who you should be like, the Pharisees. And they're dragging this poor woman who's crying and screaming in front of Jesus and holding rocks and getting ready to kill her. If you walk by that, are you ever going to want to listen to them or go to their church? No, of course not. It's just like how... If you have somebody who gets on Facebook or, or gets on Twitter or gets on TikTok or goes in person or texts and just totally trashes and judges somebody and then they turn around and they ask somebody else to go to church, it's like, why would you do this? And so uh, they drop the thing, they, they drop the rocks, they go away. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. So he, he says, yeah, you sinned, but don't do it anymore. He forgives her. He gives her a chance because that's what he is about. That's what we have to be about. It's not about being right. And it's not about proving that other people are wrong. And it's not about proving what the best religion is. And it's not about proving where the best church is. It's not about attendance. It's not about anything like that. It is about being better 
than we are. It's about being like Jesus. It's about loving. It's about hoping. It's about helping. It's about giving people second chances. And it's about turning the other cheek and all of these things that Jesus did over and over and over again that we forget so often. And this passage is so beautiful because it could have gone so poorly with anybody else other than Jesus. Because sometimes even the best of us would be like, well, that's the letter of the law. And it's not that Jesus isn't saying the law doesn't matter because he says sin no more. But it's that the person matters more. And you are not what you do. You are not what you've done. You are who you are and he loves you. All of that. One more passage of scripture I want to read. And this is my favorite. It's the one I use the most. It's above the doors. Uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And this comes as the result of another trick where the same people are going to Jesus and they're like, hey, which is the greatest commandment? And it's not like a thing where if you're asking somebody, hey, what do you think salvation means? Or what do you think of grace? And like you're just kind of having a discussion. Or, hey, who do you think the best football player is? And you kind of talk about it. They're going to him and they're like, oh, he's going to choose. He's going to choose a commandment, and then we're going to be like, oh, what about the other nine? Or what about the other 616? Like, what about this? What about that? Or he's going to say, I can't choose. Like, oh, I thought you knew scripture, Jesus. But he says this. He's like, they all come down to love God, love others. And that's what Christianity is. It's, again, I'm not saying that the laws don't matter. I'm not saying rules don't matter. I'm not saying doing right doesn't matter. I'm saying it comes down to love God completely, which means you're following all of those because you love him and you want to be like him. You want to be close to him. You want to help him. You want to be with him. And then it says love others, and it says they're the same. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. The words that Jesus used there, there are four main words that Greeks used for uh, love. And they're different ones. There's one that means brotherly love. There's one that means kind of romantic love. There's one that means kind of family love or friendship love. And the one he used is unconditional, which means no matter what, which means even if they're jerks, even if they hate you, even if they're evil. And he used that for God, obviously, because God loves us unconditionally. So we should love him unconditionally, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter who we lose, no matter what goes wrong, no matter where people go. And then he says, love others using the same word. Now, most people are like, I oh, love God unconditionally. I can do that. That makes sense. Like, he's perfect and he loves me, of course. But then when Jesus says, also, love others unconditionally, like, whoa, what about the jerks? What, what, what about the Pittsburgh Steelers fan? Or the people like Purdue? Like, that's the worst you can do. Like, like what about the people who are different than me? The people that annoy me? The, the people that break ceilings? The people that shoot darts in people's eyes? The people that pick on their little brothers, their older brothers? The people... <laughs> The people who go on darkness retreats. Like, what about all of those people? And exactly. Jesus is like, yeah, those people. Because look at how people treat me, and I still love them. Look at what you've done to me, and I still love you. And so that is what we have to do. The title of tonight is Better Because We Have to Be Better. You guys have this amazing chance as well as this horrible circumstance. Because over the course of time... When the church first started, like after Jesus said, hey, let's build the church, and then he went up to heaven, the disciples built the church, and it was awesome, but it was illegal. And so everybody joined, but they were scared. And then all of a sudden, it became the cool thing, and it became the club, and it became the thing people do. And so now it's kind of like, well, we should go to church, but we don't actually do it sometimes. Like, we don't actually live like it. We go, and we talk about it, or we try, and whatever, but then we treat everybody else like garbage. 
And Jesus is like, you can't do that. It's not about the attendance. It's not about the money. It's not about the tithe. It's not about any of this. All of that stuff matters, but it's about love. And it's about loving God and then loving others in the same way. And I talk about this the most because it's the most important thing that I can talk about. And this series, and I don't know what I'll do next week, I will put a podcast out that I'm sure all of you will listen to seven times each. But this series about being whole, the reason I went through identity first is because we have to define ourselves as being like Jesus, as loving Jesus, as being loved by Jesus, because that's the only thing that will never change, the only thing that truly matters. We have to put ourselves in other people's shoes, because otherwise we feel like they're different, and we feel like they don't matter, and we turn them into numbers or categories or groups. And then we have to be better, because we are the ones that people see Jesus through. Um, We talked tonight in confirmation about how you can't work your way into heaven, like you can't do too many good deeds to get into heaven. But by how we treat people, someone else who's not been to church may be like, oh, that's why it's different. That's why it matters. That's who we can be. You may be, I've said this in big church, and I'll probably say it again in big church. You may be the only example of Jesus that somebody sees. Like everybody else may treat him like crap, like the, pers- the people did with the Samaritan woman or this woman tonight. And so you may be the only example. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect because you can't be perfect. But it means that even when you mess up, even when you do something wrong, you show Jesus by apologizing, by saying, hey, I screwed up, and then doing better. All that matters is that you keep trying to be like him. You keep loving him, loving others, and trying to be better. You're never going to be perfect. I wish that we could be. But you can be more like him every day than you were the day before. And that's the goal. That's what it means to be whole. That's what it means to be like him. That's what it means to make a difference. That's all I got.